Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we're probably not going to get that far tonight. We're probably only going to cover the first two Beatitudes that are in our, our study for tonight, verses 7 and 8. But as we get into blessed are the merciful, I need to remind you of something I said a Bible study or so ago. Now, for those of you that weren't here, let me just remind you. When we were looking at the Beatitudes and when we get to blessed are the poor in spirit and we talked about we realized that blessed are those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt and realize they're sinners. And then it said, blessed are those who mourn or blessed are those who grieve over the fact that they're sinners. We've told you before that there are those who would say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm just going to party in hell with my buds. There's a difference between acknowledging you're a sinner and also grieving over that and being mourned, mournful because of it. And when we were talking about blah, blah, blessed are those who mourn, we talked about and I just touched on it and I said, I'll get to it later. And this is when we're going to get to it. I touched on the fact that if you truly understand your lostness and you grieve over your lostness, which would, of course, drive us, as we've already looked at, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you truly understand your lostness, it will make you deal better with people who are sinners. And we're going to talk tonight about blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But I want you to go to Galatians chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 5. And look closely. Because as you're going to see tonight in our study, there's a problem that we have as Christians and I think the longer we become a Christian, or the longer we've been a Christian, it's easier for us to forget what God really did for us. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. In this passage, Paul's saying, if you see your brother in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore them how? Gently. Let me ask you a question. In the church today, on the whole, when people see other Christians in a fault... What's their natural reaction to what? Beat them over the head, to condemn, gossip. But the Bible actually says that we're to be showing mercy to those people who need mercy, just like we would like to receive mercy. Some of you have actually heard me use this illustration before. Some of you may not. But let me help you out to help you realize that we all have this tendency to want mercy for ourselves, but have a real hard time sharing it with somebody else. I'm going to ask an honest question of you. Have you ever driven down the highway, maybe going a little too fast? And as you're going a little too fast, faster than the speed limit, you realize you just passed a police officer. And your heart races. By the way, let me just tell you something about the police officers that they know. They don't even need a radar gun to know how fast you are going or whether or not you're going too fast. What they're looking for is if your hood goes down. All right. Because if you ever notice when you step on the brakes with your car, when you're going fast, you step on the brakes, your front end goes down. And what they're looking for is the guy that sees them and goes when the hood goes down. You ever been one of those people and you realize, oh, no. And you look in the mirror and they don't pull out and you think, thank you, God. You ever been that, that person? And then not a few minutes later, someone blows by you and you think, I hope there's a police officer up ahead. You ever had that thought? Have you ever had that thought? We want his mercy for us, but we have a hard time giving that mercy to other people. If you understand your lostness, when someone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. If you understand your brokenness and the fact that even though we've been saved, we're still a work in progress, you will be able to help someone who's caught in a fault. But when you don't understand who you really are, you'll be one of those church people who will be judgmental, condemn, gossip, point the finger. And so we're going to talk tonight about being merciful. 
Realizing in our, bro our brokenness and fallenness and grieving over it so that we hunger and thirst for righteousness from Christ and receiving His mercy causes us to be merciful. If we're not merciful, it's evidence that we have not really received or fully understood God's mercy to us because if we give others no mercy, we set ourselves up as judge over them and in doing so, we act as if we have no need of mercy ourselves. Go to Matthew 18 and let's just listen to Jesus' words Himself on this subject. In Matthew chapter 18, look at verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now you've got to keep in mind, the Pharisees taught three times. So Peter's thinking he's doing real well. He's doubled it and added one. And Jesus says to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. By the way, if you were to do the math today, and I'm not joking when I say this, if you were to do the math today, you know what 10,000 talents is? It's a gazillion billion. If, you were to use, if Jesus were to use that number today and use today's language, he'd say the guy owed him a gazillion billion. It's a lot. It's a huge number. And so he used this huge number and he said since he could not pay his master, duh, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. By the way, almost word for word what the guy had just said to the guy that had forgiven him the big debt. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So, all my, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Folks, let's let the scripture tonight just speak to us and be real about this. The Bible is very, very clear. If we're not willing to share mercy with people around us, we have never really received God's mercy. Because those of us who have understood and have received God's mercy will be glad to share it with the people around us. But not willing to share his mercy with people around us, as you're going to see, shows that we've never really received his mercy. Let me, we know the Bible's very clear on this. If you're truly saved, will you lose your salvation? No, the Bible's very clear. I mean, people always wrestle over this issue. Let me just settle it for you. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I will lose none that the Father has given me. I think that settles it. If Jesus says, everyone the Father gives me, I will never lose. If you're born again and you've been sealed by the Spirit, you've been given a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, you have been set aside by God, protected by Him. We're going to see later on that we're shielded by God's power. So we know that in this story, Jesus wasn't talking about a guy who had been forgiven and saved and then he lost his salvation because he wouldn't share it with his brother. What he's showing is this. Even though he was forgiven and the mercy was offered to him, the man never received it because if he had received it, he would have passed it on to the guy that was underneath him. And the Bible says that those of us who really understand what God's done for us and have received his mercy will share it with other people. So you can say you're saved. You can say you're forgiven. But if you're not willing to forgive someone else, you're going to see this over and over tonight. The Bible says... You never received his mercy. You say you have, but you haven't shared it, so you don't have it. Now, let me say something else to you tonight before we go any further. My desire is not to sit here and make anybody question their salvation. That's, that's one of Satan's tricks. The Bible actually says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. 
And what I'm talking about today is not, I wonder if you're really saved. No, I'm talking about if you're lost, you'll know it. And the Spirit of God will convict you of that. But the Bible's very, very clear, folks. The evidence of those who are truly saved, the evidence of those who have truly received God's mercy, are those who share it with the people around them. Oh, I've heard a lot of Christians, or and I'm going to put it to in quotes, people that claim to be Christians. I don't know if they are or not. Not my job. That's, that's, God's going to separate that at the end. I'm not going to get caught up into who's saved and who's not. But listen to me. I've heard a lot of people that claim to be Christians over the years say something like this. Well, I'll forgive them when they ask. You ever heard someone say that? Um, let me ask you a question. Is that how God forgives? Does he wait for us to ask him before he forgives us? Or does the Bible teach that he forgives us before we ask? He forgave us before he even did it. On the cross, were the people crying out, forgive us, God? No, but he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Actually, it says in the book of Colossians that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins or trespasses against them. The message of the gospel is not God's mad at you, but if you ask him to forgive, he'll change his mind and he'll forgive you. The message of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever receives or believes this message of salvation will have eternal life. God loves you. He's already forgiven you. At the cross, Jesus paid for all your sins. The message of the gospel is receive this mercy. Receive this mercy. If you really understand and receive his mercy, you'll have no problem sharing it with the people around you. But you know, unfortunately, something happens to us. Even real Christians, we forget his mercy. I ran into something that I had never really seen in the book of Job before while I was in the hospital of my last episode with blood clots and all that mess. I was listening to this preacher on the TV, and personally, I don't like TV preachers. But this time, something made me stick. And he brought out the fact that Job, this is the guy we all know in chapters 1 and 2, didn't charge God with wrongdoing. He didn't sin with his lips. In the book, chapter 32 of the book of Job, and you double-check me later on in verses 1 and 2, Elihu starts to speak, and Elihu was angry at Job because he trusted in his own righteousness. And then in verse 2 it says this, and he was angry with him because he justified himself rather than God. Job, who was a man of faith, through the struggle, something started to come out of him. And he actually started forgetting what he had been forgiven of. And he was thinking himself better than others. Listen to, I just quoted you chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. You can go back and double check me later on. But in chapter 31, verse 1, with the famous passage, we've all heard it's quoted. Maybe you haven't, but it's a famous passage where Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes never to look on a virgin. And if you keep reading in that chapter, he goes on and says, I've never taken a bribe. I've never done this. I've never done that. Now, he was right in the fact that the trouble that was coming to him wasn't because of his sin. But what God did by sending that trouble was brought something out of Job that even though he trusted in God for his righteousness, he had started to trust in his righteous living as well. And he forgot where he came from. And Elihu shows up and says, you're trusting in your own righteousness and you actually are starting to compare yourself with other people. I've never done this. I've never done that. Doesn't that sound like the Pharisee in the story that Jesus told of the Pharisee and the publican who were praying? And folks, without realizing it, we get there too. We know that God has, has to give us mercy and give us his grace in order to be saved. And we fall at his feet and we say, I'm a sinner. Would you please save me? And he does. And we thank him for it. But then we begin to live righteously, as the Bible says we ought to, by his spirit, which we're going to get into tonight. And as we live righteously over ye the years, without realizing it, we forget where we came from. And we start resting in our years of righteousness and we now look at the world and we hate them when we see the things they're doing. Isn't wickedness increasing right now like the Bible said it would? Aren't we just like blown away by the things that are happening? That people could go into a synagogue and just kill people or parents can just kill their babies or leave them in the woods and just walk away. And we look at that and it's easy for us to say, how could they? I would never do that. And we in the church have a tendency to forget the mercy that God gave to us. And we're not very merciful with the people around us. 
I'm going to let the Spirit of God speak to us tonight as we take a look at these passages. But as you're about to see, it's the ones who are merciful who will receive mercy. We're going to talk about that in the end in just a little bit. But God is a God of mercy. Would we not agree God's a God of mercy? Well, the Bible says his children will look and act like him. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. In Luke 6, verses 32 through 36, the scripture says, and if I was in Luke, it would read a lot more, make a lot more sense. I was in John. I was like, wait a minute. Luke chapter 6, starting verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful." We have a tendency to look at people and think, well, what am I going to get in return? Or have they earned my kindness? If you go down that road, you are not even acting like your father because he died for us like you shared, Allison, when we were yet sinners, even before we were born. When we were powerless, when we were his enemy, he died for us. And we need to remember that God is a God who loves the world. We love to quote John 3.16, but do you not realize God still loves those people out there that we see on the news? They might be on the other side of the aisle from you in the polling booth. Do you know God loves those people who worship a God that is not a God and are willing to kill other people because they don't worship that same God that is not a God? Don't you know God loves them too? We need to be reminded. And the Bible says that when we are merciful as our Father is merciful, it shows that we're sons of the Most High. This also, when I was reading this last night, reminded me of years ago when I was in seminary in New Orleans. Becky and I had just been married for, we're in our first year of marriage, and we're on the seminary campus in New Orleans. And if you've ever been to the seminary campus, it's 85 acres and it's beautiful. It's in a real rough section of town, but the campus is just gorgeous and brick buildings and all this stuff. And as you enter the campus, just on the right-hand side is the president's mansion. It's a big, brick, beautiful house. And we would drive by the president's mansion every time, all the way to the back of the seminary campus to the trailer park where Becky and I lived. And I remember telling Becky when we were first married, let's invite the president and his wife to dinner at our trailer for hot dogs. Because if we invite him over, they're going to say, hey, why don't you come over to our house next week? And they might feed us steak. Were my motives pure as I was generous? No, I was doing it in hopes of getting something in return. Many of us do good things, but only because our motives are impure. Are you willing to do something nice to someone even if they're ungrateful or unholy? Or are you only doing it in hopes that they notice? How many of you over the years have thought, well, I did this to my relative and they never said thank you? See, without realizing it, our flesh starts to win over the years. And as we get older in our walks with the Lord, we stop growing. I just had the privilege of preaching for a couple weeks up in Virginia and Ohio. And I had the privilege of teaching a whole series entitled Staying Teachable. Because one of the saddest things is, as we get older as Christians, the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we get our theology set. I know what I believe I know who God is in my mind. And we come to teaching now or to preaching services and we sit and listen to whether or not that guy agrees with me. And we stop being teachable. You've been a pastor. You know full well the people you had the hardest time with were the people that thought they were the most righteous. Don't fall into that trap. Blessed are the merciful. 
for they're the ones that are going to receive mercy. So let me just show you real quickly a few passages that show how merciful God is. We, already, we have agreed that God's merciful. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, but we need to be reminded. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in what? Isn't that amazing? He's loaded with mercy. Because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Would we not all say amen to that? Well, how come we won't be willing to share that with somebody else? Why have they got to all of a sudden start acting right before we treat them with mercy and kindness? The Bible says you treat your enemies with love, it'll be like heaping coals on their head. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his what? His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, Paul had a benefit Paul knew full well when he got saved what he was before. He was a blasphemer. He was an insolent. He, was a, he actually was out trying to kill the church. And Paul lived his whole life with an understanding of God's mercy toward him because God could have easily killed Paul for what he was doing to the church. And I think some of us that grew up in the church and maybe got saved in Awanas, we might have forgotten or maybe never fully realized the depth of our sin. So let me remind you, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, If you're able to keep the whole law, yet settle, uh, you know, fall, fall at just one point, you're guilty as if you broke it all. Even if you get saved as a young child, because of the law demands perfection, there's no, well, you did pretty good. No, if you broke God's law, His holiness is so holy, you are no longer able to be in His presence. You were guilty even if you broke only one. Now, let me ask you, have you ever broken at least one of God's commands? You were guilty in the eyes of God as if he broke them all when he saved you. And maybe you need to take some time to meditate and let that truth sink into your heart. I know I can tell you this and you all go, yep, yep, you're right, Jim. Yep, I agree, you're right. No, no, it probably only hit here. One day you're going to realize when it hits here. Because when it hits here... You're going to be someone who, I think the words were uh, submissive to rulers and authorities, obedient, ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, gentle, showing perfect courtesy toward all people. Do I need to go any further? I think every one of us goes dip, 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 right? We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one, verses three through five. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now hang on for a second. Has anybody noticed that Paul keeps bringing up God's mercy? Why is Paul, every time he's talking to the Christians, starting his sentence by saying, remember God's mercy? Remember God's mercy? Remember God's mercy? Why is, why is Paul doing that? Well, he remembers it, and we need to be reminded of it. We all need to remember his mercy. We need to remember his mercy. You ever heard the phrase, but by the grace of God, there go I? Not a bad phrase to learn. 
Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. You're in chapter 1, look at chapter 2. Look at verses 9 and 10. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, here Peter, twice now. Paul's been saying it to us. Peter's been saying it to us. We need to be reminded of God's mercy. Now, here's the catch 22. I'm going to ask you a question. Um, does God give us mercy because we are merciful, or are we merciful because God's given us mercy? I'm going to ask it again because uh, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So are we merciful because he's given us mercy? I've twisted around now, so now you have to pay attention to my words. Are we merciful because we've received mercy, or do we receive mercy because we're merciful? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Let me just say something to you. You will never share mercy with anybody. It's not in your nature. You will never share mercy with anybody unless God's given you his mercy first. If you've, ever, if you've never received God's mercy, you'll never share his mercy. You won't. You ever raised your kids when they were little? Did you have to teach them to hit, steal, say no, bite, lie? It's in us all. We don't, we don't want to share mercy. So you will never share mercy unless God has given you his mercy and you've received it. He's offered it to the whole world, but those who have received it. Yet at the same time, as you share his mercy, you get more. You get more. And we've already all agreed with the police illustration. We love mercy. And we need mercy on a daily basis. So um, remind, let the Spirit of God remind you of this truth and keep sharing it with the people around you. Just on the way over here, go ahead and go back to Matthew chapter 5, and I'll share this with you. On the way over here, uh, my daughter, our daughter, Becky's and my daughter, uh, called up and said, Mom, how do you get spaghetti sauce out of a shirt? Of course, Becky then shared with her how to Get it. I wouldn't know. I, I actually, I was talking, I was yelling to the phone because we were riding here and I was yelling, scissors. Because I, I don't know how to get spaghetti sauce out of a shirt otherwise. But Becky just calmly shared her, here's what you do, go in the, kit, the, the, in the laundry room and here's some stuff. And, and when she hung up the phone, our daughters are about to move out of our house. One's 25, one's 22 and about to get their own first apartment and they're so excited and we're excited for them. But Becky said this, she said, I'm going to be making, handling lots of phone calls like that to, in days to come. And I told her, that's good, because you're going to be a mama for the rest of your life anyway. But I also love the fact that my daughter felt comfortable enough to call you and say, how do I get spaghetti sauce out of my shirt? She wasn't afraid that you would, well, how'd you get spaghetti sauce in your shirt? You understand? Well, how many times have I told you not? You see what I'm saying? How many of us are merciful? Are people afraid to admit they must make mistakes around us because we're going to preach? I know for me as a dad, that's one of the things I had to learn. As I was so quick to condemn, quick to set the rules, quick to preach. The kids would go to the mercy person and not to dad. I want my kids to know dad's got mercy too. But I'll tell you right now, if dad has it, it came from Jesus. It came from Jesus. And you didn't need to amend that that much. But I, 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 <laughs> you and I both have that same problem, don't we, Allison? Hey, there's good news. There's good news. Remember, with each of these Beatitudes, there's good news. If you're merciful, you'll receive mercy. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, look at verses 9 through 15. I'm going to read one more passage and move on to the next one. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Anybody else besides me need grace and mercy on a daily basis because you still struggle with the flesh? Uh, you want mercy, not just for salvation, but for sanctification? Forgive. 
share it. And I'll let the Lord tell you who it is that you need to go deal with. Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Don't miss this. Only the pure in heart will ever see God and enjoy His presence. Isn't that what the Scripture says here? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Actually, the Bible is very, very clear. Only the pure in heart are going to be able to see God. I'm going to show you that from the Scriptures in just a little bit. Only the pure in heart are ever going to see God. Now we've got a problem. Didn't this whole study here in the Beatitudes in chapter 5 start with, Blessed are the poor in spirit? Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt? Blessed are those who are, realize they're sinners? Blessed are those who grieve over their sin and hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do, you, how do you get pure in heart if there's no one with a pure heart? And you've even already just agreed that even though you've been born again, you still struggle with sin and you still sin. Yes, there's sins and washed and paid for, but the Bible says only the pure in heart. Uh, I heard it back in the back. New heart. Go to Ezekiel 36. Go to Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 17 says that the heart is desperately sick and beyond cure. So even Oprah can't help you. Or Dr. Phil. Ezekiel 36. Look at verses 26 and 27. And God says, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When God saves us, he doesn't just wash us clean and put his spirit within us and say, hey, how about the two of us try a little harder? He gives us a whole new heart. We have a new nature. And that's something we have to understand. When you sin now, you're sinning against your nature. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. And for years, preachers have said, well, was Paul talking about before salvation or after salvation? Well, I can tell you, it's very clear from that context that he was talking about after salvation because he said this twice. He said, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He said it two times. That means a transformation has occurred. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that lives within me. Paul understood that when he sinned now, because he still sinned, and if you say you don't sin after salvation, Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 that you lie and the truth's not in you. We still all struggle with sin. Thank God we've been forgiven. But he's, we've been given a new heart and when you sin now it's not who you really are. You're actually acting against your nature. You got to understand that. I'm only human. No you're not. Oh you still got the flesh. But you're not only human anymore. You've been given a new heart and a new spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. You haven't been refurbished. You're a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Yes, we still have this flesh, and I can't wait to get out of it. On the way here, my wife and I were listening to some Christian music, and one of the songs came up was called Absent from Flesh. Can't wait until we get out of this body. Anybody else agree with that? I can't wait. But we, even though we've been made new in our spirit, and as you're going to see tonight in one of the passages, we're being re, our spirit's being renewed, our flesh still is here. So only the pure in heart are going to see God. So here's what we're going to talk about tonight, and we're going to take a look at some passages Yes, you've been given a new heart. Yes, you've been made new. Yes, you've been washed clean. And yes, you're able to be in the presence of God and go boldly into the throne because of what he's done. But just like if you've really received his mercy, it will be evident in the fact that you share mercy. Listen closely. If you've truly been given a new heart and you've been made pure, your lifestyle and your moral, if you will, righteousness will begin to be evident as well. The purity that you've received should start making its way out of you. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? You've only been made new. That new you needs to be seen. If it's not being seen, the Bible says maybe you don't have a new you. And I'm going to show you that from the scriptures. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, just one verse, verse 14.
strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, is the Hebrew writer talking to believers or unbelievers? Talking to believers here. And he says to them, strive for peace and for the holiness with that, that without which none, no one will see the Lord. Even though I have been born again and I've been made new, the Bible says I am to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm to, on a daily basis, strive to allow what God has accomplished in me to be made manifest in my flesh. Even Paul, who knew he was saved and sealed and delivered for heaven, said, I consider, I consider all that stuff rubbish. I press on. I forget what's behind. I'm heading forward. I want more and more of what Christ has given me. I want it to be made known in my body. And he said, if any of you are mature, you'll think the same way. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, look at verses 1 through 8. Here in this awesome passage about the new heaven and the new earth and how we're all going to be able to be with God and see him. There's warnings in here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And boy, I can't wait for that day. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I'm going to give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jump over to chapter 22, look at verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb and through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. By the way, we've been taught there's no time in heaven. Yes, there is. Don't build your theology on songs. Build your theology from the scriptures. The Bible actually says in the book of Revelation there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. There must be time in heaven. There is time in heaven. The fruit's going to be produced each month. How it's measured, we don't know, but there's time in heaven. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night and day, night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun for the Lord will, God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Did anybody catch the warning in the verses I just read in chapter 22? It's verse 3. Look at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. Has anybody noticed in the midst of these passages where he talks about the new heaven and the new earth? Why is he going to talk about the liars and the adulterers and the idolaters and all this stuff? Why is he going to point out there won't be anything accursed? Why can't he just talk about the good? Same reason why the book of Hebrews has caused so many people so many problems. As the Hebrew writer was writing to the believers, he also knew that in their midst there were going to be those who were the Judases. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever allowed this... Spirit of God to kind of speak to your heart. Have you ever meditated on that? The Bible says that when Jesus designated the 12 to be the apostles, he had just come down from a night of prayer with the Father. And he designated for the many disciples that were there, 12 to be the apostles. And did Jesus make a wrong choice with Judas? Or did he know that Judas was never going to be one of them and it wasn't one of them? Of course he knew. The Bible says he even prayed in John 17. He was a child of perdition from the beginning. And why did Jesus pick someone he knew was never going to be one to be a part of the group but never make it? He wants us to understand something. There's always going to be among us those who claim it, but they don't have it. Again, it's not for us to look around and think, well, I think secret ballot. Let's just do secret ballot, who we think in here. No. But at the same time, 
There's a warning all throughout the scriptures. Just saying you believe it is not enough. Just saying, oh, thank God. Is it manifesting itself in the transformation that God has given you through his spirit? It will manifest itself if it's real. If it doesn't, you don't have it. Let me show you something you might not have ever seen before. Go to John chapter 2. Look at verses 23 and following. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. These people believed in him because of the miracles they saw, but Jesus didn't seal the deal. Why? Because he knew it wasn't real faith. Parable of the soils, seed falls on the rocky soil, springs up, fools a lot of people, looks like salvation, but trouble comes. And because it really wasn't salvation, it had no root, withered. There are going to be those who fall on the seed that falls on the thorny soil, springs up, sure looks like salvation, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth will choke it. Folks, let me just tell you, again, I'm not here to make you question your salvation. I'm here to tell you what the scripture says. If you truly are born again, if you truly received his spirit, there should be a transformation. Listen closely, not from one day to the next, but a progressive growth toward righteousness and holiness. What you have received should be making progress against your flesh. That's all I'm saying. What you've received should, have and make, should be making some progress against your flesh. Let's let the scripture speak. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and following. By the way, over the years, I'm sure you've heard people do the same thing, James, wrestle over whether or not 1 John was written to believers or unbelievers. Um, I think it's pretty clear when you get to chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So is he writing to believers or unbelievers? He's writing to believers. So, so read chapter 1 as if he's reading, writing to believers. It'll make a ton more sense. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him sits around and is fat and happy that they're going to heaven. That's not what it says, is it? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Keep reading. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Now, keep in mind, remember chapter one, he's already said, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. Truth's not in you. So don't think you don't sin. But he says, in chapter two, he even said, I write these things to you, my dear children, so you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's already laid out. Don't tell me you don't sin. Even though we're saved, we still sin. I'm writing these things so you don't. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father. Yet, now that we are his children, we should be striving for purity. We should be striving for holiness. And everyone who makes a practice of sinning, though, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. In him, there is no sin. And no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either been known or ever seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteousness as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Listen closely, folks. The scripture is pretty clear here. Look, if you are okay with sinning, you don't have it. If you're comfortable with sin, by the way, there's preachers out there to say you're so forgiven, you can just go sin because you've been made new and your all sins are all forgiven. You can just go. No, watch out for those kind of preachers. 
Yes, you've been made new. Yes, if you've been received the Spirit, you've been sealed by the Spirit of God. But the Bible actually tells us that there's a sin unto death. If we as Christians continue in disobedience, He takes us home early. But if you're truly born again, you're not happy when you sin. You're not. Has anybody ever here sinned after salvation? I hope everybody's hands are up. How did it feel? I don't like it. I don't like it when I do it. I don't like it at all. That's good. Bible actually says it's good when our hearts condemn us. That's good. If you say, it's no big deal. I'm only human. <laughs> People are just going to sin, you know. That's why Jesus came, you know. <laughs> I'm good. Oh, be careful. Only the pure in heart are going to see God. And those who are truly pure of heart, are gonna it's going to be evidenced over time. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 3 through 11. His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, who's called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Before we go any further, let me clarify what he just said to you. If you've been born again and you've received the Spirit of God, His divine power has given you already everything you need for life and godliness. Listen closely. You don't need a second baptism. You don't need another experience. You don't need a certain preacher at a special service to pray over you, and all of a sudden things are going to be different. If you've been born again, you were already baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible talks about. It's very, very clear. The baptism of the Spirit is when you're saved, and He puts His Spirit within you, and you're in God. Remember John chapter 14, verse 20? Jesus says, in that day, you're going to realize that I'm in you, and you're in me, and I'm in the Father. On the day we get saved, the day we trust Christ and he seals the deal with his spirit because he knows that our faith is real and he gives us his salvation. You are born again. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit and you've received everything you need for life and godliness at that moment. Now, with the Holy Spirit also comes these very great and precious promises that if you will partake of them, as you're going to see in a little bit by faith, you can experience the divine nature that's within you. And you can have victory over the flesh. Keep reading. For this very reason, because everything that I just said, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing, There's a progress in our walk with the Lord after salvation. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, they'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible actually talks about the fact that even though we've been born again, even though we've been made new, we need to take seriously this salvation we've been given. And we need to daily say no to our flesh and yes to the spirit. By the way, that sounds like Romans 12, 1 and 2, doesn't it? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but learn how to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And when you do, you will actually start to experience victory over the flesh. And the purity of heart that you've already received, the new creation that you are, will be manifest against your flesh. It's going to be a progress. I think Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 says it really, really well. The path of the righteous is at the dawning of the new day, which gets brighter and brighter and brighter until the full day. I'm not what I will be. But thank God I'm not what I was. Am I saved? Yes. Am I being saved? Yes. Will I one day be saved? Yes. Salvation is your justification, your sanctification, and your glorification. The Bible says that when we trust Him as our Savior, we are saved. But the Bible also says we're to work out our salvation. And the Bible says that one day Jesus is going to come and bring salvation with Him. Folks, are you striving to allow what God has given you to make itself known in your life? That's what the Bible tells us that we're to be doing now. 
He's predestined to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Let's let him do his work in us. Strive. Oh, by the way, this is how you find out whether or not you're really saved. Because if you try to get this, and you try to do what I'm about to share with you in the time we have left, and you can't, it'll be evidence to you that the Spirit's not in you. But as you do what we're about to close with, it'll be confirmation that the Spirit's in you. He will testify to your spirit that you're his child. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Colossians chapter 2, look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, or in the same way in which you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How did you come to faith in, I'm mean, sorry, how did you get born again? By faith, right? You trusted Jesus as your Savior by faith. You heard this crazy, crazy message. The Bible calls it the foolishness of preaching is how he saves people. You heard this crazy message that if you stopped trying to get better and trying to make yourself right before God because you can't, and you acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner and you are separated from God because of your sin and his holiness, and if you would just simply believe that God himself came down to this earth, took on human flesh, became a man that was 100% man, but 100% God. Don't know how that works, but that's what the Bible says. And that man who was also God lived on this earth and never, ever sinned. And then God punished him instead of you for your sins. And then he died and then he rose from the dead. And if you believe that this man sinned this life, will cover you. The Bible says if you ask God to receive, to receive what he's offering, you'll be eternally forgiven. You're going to heaven when you die. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Anybody here believe that and received it by faith? I have. Now, listen closely. Here's the problem. We've been taught in the church that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You have to ask God to give it to you. And we acknowledge that and we say, Lord Jesus, save me. The problem is, once we get saved, unfortunately, most of us, this is what we heard from the church. Okay, now that you're saved, you need to live for the Lord. You need to be here every time the doors open. You need to give. You need to boom, boom, boom. And you were taught to go live for Jesus. And no, no one's ever really taught us that um, the one who began this good work in you is the one who finishes it. That Jesus, that we're to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, in the same way in which you received Jesus as Lord, which was what? By faith. Now walk in him that way on a daily basis, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Keep reading. If then you have been raised with Christ... If you are this new creation, the pure in heart, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Folks, if you're struggling with sin and your focus is, I'm not going to do that anymore, you're already failed. Because you're trying to defeat it. You can't. We wrestle against flesh and blood. Sorry, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Folks, you can't win against that. And your flesh is not going to be any help. So rededicating yourself isn't going to help. I'll try harder. I'll do better. This week, I won't do that. You're not going to be able to do it. So since you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
And these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've been put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after it's the image of its creator. Spirit of God's at work within you. Yield to him. Now, as he goes on, he gives a lot more instructions along that line. But let me just ask you this question. Do you understand that if you are truly born again and you are made new, if you are saved by the Spirit of God and He's begun this good work in you, He wants all the glory? He wants to be the one who does what He does in you? Hopefully, you can say, like Job didn't, I've never looked on a woman. Well, since this point, I was forgiven. But now... I stopped doing that, but it wasn't me. It was him who gave me the victory. I, I don't take bribes anymore. You know why? Not because it's the right thing to do, but it's because I've been yielding myself to Jesus, and I so trust him, I don't need him. I'm sorry, I need him to control my life. I don't need to work it out by taking bribes. I don't lie anymore, not because I'm a better person than anybody, but because when I lie, I'm trying to manipulate things to control things the way I want them to go. And I'm just going to just rest in, the Christ, in Christ who lives within me and let him be in control of my life and let my yes be yes and my no be no. You understand? It manifests itself. But here's what you got to understand. I'm going to close with this. We have three kids. An older daughter who's about to turn 25, another one that's 22, and our son's about to turn 20 this weekend. When they were younger... When I think my middle daughter, who's the one 22-year-old, was around six-ish. We were staying on 192 at a uh, hotel, which is kind of like a suite kind of a thing, had a kitchenette and stuff. And we were going to be going to Disney because we had passes. And friends of ours were staying nearby in a campground, and they had kids the same age as ours. And since we had this little kitchenette suite type of a hotel room, they came over for dinner. And we had shake-and-bake chicken. It's been, I know, 14 years, but I can still remember what we ate. That's just the way my brain works. I probably don't remember half of the stuff that's happened to me, but I can remember every meal. I don't know why. We had shake-and-bake chicken. But the Capels, who came over to hang out with us that night, brought with them a plate of chocolate chip cookies. And they were big. They were big, nice ones. And when they came in, our kids were all wanting the chocolate chip cookies. We said, after dinner, you each can have one. But listen closely. We made very clear to them all, you get one tonight. Just one. Is it understood? Yes. Okay. So dinner goes. We eat the cookies. It's time for them to leave. And as they're leaving, we all as a family are at the door saying goodbye to them. And as they're leaving out of the door, I realize I see my wife and myself and I see two kids, but I'm missing one. So I look around for my daughter, Elise, and I wish I could do it the way it really was. I guess the best way I can do it is this. She was in a corner like this. <laughs> While we were all at the door, she realized this was her opportunity to sneak a cookie. And she thought that she could get it down fast enough while we were saying goodbye. And she also thought by getting in the corner, no one would see what was happening we turn around, and there she is in the corner, and I said, Elise, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> Honey, turn around. She had finished, but she had chocolate all over her face. I said, Honey, did you take a cookie? She said, Yeah. I said, Have a seat. Sat her down on the couch there, and I said, Let me ask you a question. You heard us say only one cookie, right? She said, Yeah. I said, Then... Why did you take another cookie when you knew you weren't supposed to? This was her answer. And folks, it'll stick in my brain until I die, and I'm going to use it forever and ever as I keep preaching. She said, Daddy, and she starts to just sob. Daddy, I'm so sorry. I knew I wasn't supposed to take the cookies, but when I walked by the cookies, they were too strong for me. <laughs> you know what? I said, girl, that'll preach. That'll preach. Everything is too strong for us without Jesus' help. And folks, that's why we need to be reminded on a daily basis. We need to renew our minds. We don't get up and say, Lord, I'm going to do better today. We say, Lord, I thank you for your mercy. And only by your grace. And thank you that you're rich in mercy. 
I want who you are in me and what you've given to me to be splashed out on the people around me today. Give me your mercy. Just like I asked you to give me salvation, I ask you to produce your righteousness through me today. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've made me pure in heart. I want the world to see that. And I can't produce it. But you said you would. So would you do that work in me? And may I not put you on a timeline or a schedule. That's one of our problems. We say, oh, Lord, change me. You got a week. No, he's going to take his time and he's going to do it in his way and his purposes. But here's the question. Are these qualities that you have been given, are these promises that come with the divine nature that you've received, are they increasing? That's all we're asking. Are you getting closer to what God has in mind? If so, you're right on schedule. If you're the same person you've always been ever since you gave of Christ your life, something's wrong. Blessed are the merciful. They're the ones who are going to receive mercy. They're the ones who have received mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. What's the good news? They'll be called what? Children of God. In other words, when we allow what he's done in us to make it out of our flesh and people around us see that we're courteous and patient, kind and loving and gentle, all these things that are the evidences of the spirit, people will say, they look like their dad. They look like their dad. I love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.